for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster, Monster Kid, Kid Radio. Radio. Here your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Monster Kid Kid Radio. Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters. Modern Talk and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio! Black Clock Audio Tales is brought to you by BunnySlippers.com and Found Item Clothing. Check them out at BunnySlippers.com and Found Item Clothing. Keep warm this winter, keep your feet warm, and uh, if you're over in the Southern Hemisphere, you can check out the cool t-shirts. Uh, yeah, anyone can check out the cool t-shirts, but hey, it's summertime down there. And hey, this is Black Clock Audio Tales, hosted by me, D.B. Spitzer. Just got back from the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival the other day. Man, was it good. Listen for an upcoming episode about the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival from The People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, the other show that's on this podcast feed. And hey, check it out. We're going to have a new show coming up. It's not going to stay on this podcast feed, but we're going to feature it on this podcast feed at first. It's called... Articulate warbling, or that's not rave, that's not ranting, that's articulate warbling, with uh, past guest uh, Zach Ferguson, author, and uh, yeah, so why don't you sit back and listen to one of the many stories we're about to tell you for the rest of this week, uh, month, actually, we've got a month of ghost stories, so, you know, if, if you like ghost stories, you want to listen to them, why not go to pgttcm? Potbean.com and donate. Become a member of one of our various uh, cults or uh, fan cults. We've got the t-shirt cult, we've got the beer cult, we've got the advert cult, and then we've got the spectral cult for people who just want their names and just want to donate a buck a month. I mean, hey, that's pretty cool. And you can always check us out at pgttcm.com, pgttcm.potbean.com. We're on Facebook, we're on Stitcher, I think we're on Spotify. Uh, We are on Instagram, and we are on Twitter, even though eh, I don't really use it. Thank you so much, and hey, ghost stories, rate, review, subscribe. What the Professor Saw by S. McCurgy This story is not so painful as the one entitled What Uncle Saw. How we wish that Uncle had seen something else, but all the same how glad we are that Uncle did not see what the Professor Saw. The professor is an M.A. of the University of Calcutta in chemistry and is a lecturer in a big college. This, of course, I only mention to show that this is not the invention of a foolish person. I shall now tell the story as I heard it from the professor. I was a professor of chemistry in a Calcutta college in the year 18. One morning I received a letter from home informing me that my eldest brother was ill. It was a case of fever due to cold. Of course, a man does sometimes catch a cold and get a fever, too. There was nothing extraordinary about that. In the evening I did not receive any further news. 
This meant that my brother was better, because in any case they would have written. A number of my friends came to my diggings in the evening and invited me to join their party, then going to a theatre. They had reserved some seat, but one of the party for whom a seat had been reserved was unavoidably detained and hence a vacant seat. The news of my brother's illness had made me a little sad. The theatre, I thought, would cheer me up. So I joined. We left the theatre at about one in the morning. Coming to my house along the now deserted but well-lighted College Street of Calcutta, I saw from a distance a tall man walking to and fro on the pavement in front of the Senate Hall. When I approached nearer, I found that it was my brother, of whose illness I had heard in the morning. I was surprised. "'What are you doing here, brother?' I asked. "'I came to tell you something.' "'But you were ill. I heard this morning. "'By what train did you come?' I asked. "'I did not come by train. Never mind. "'I went to your bassa, lodgings, and found you were out, "'gone to the theatre. "'So I waited for you here as I thought you would prefer "'walking home instead of a hackney carriage. "'Very fortunate I did not take one. "'In that case I would have seen you at your quarters. "'Then come along with me,' I said.' No, he said, I shall stay where I am. What I have come to tell you is this, that after I am gone you will take care of the mother and see that she has everything she wants. But where are you going? I asked, puzzled. Never mind where I am going, but will you promise? Promise what? I asked. That you will see that the mother has everything she wants. Certainly, but where on the earth are you going? I asked again. I can depend upon your promise, then, he said, and vanished. He vanished mysteriously. In what direction he went, I could not say. There was no by-lane near. It was a very well-lighted part of the city. He vanished into thin air. I rubbed my eyes and looked around. A policeman was coming along. He was about fifty feet away. I inquired him if he had seen the gentleman who was talking to me. "'Did you see the other gentleman, officer?' I asked. "'Yes,' he said, looking round. "'There were two of you. Where's the other? Has he robbed you of all you had? "'These pickpockets have a mysterious way of disappearing.' "'He was my brother,' I said, and no pickpocket. "'The policeman looked puzzled, too. "'I shouted aloud, calling my brother by name, but received no reply. "'I took out my gold watch. It was half-past one. I walked home at a brisk pace. At home I was informed by the servant that my brother had come to look for me an hour ago, but on being informed that I was out, had gone away. Whenever he came to Calcutta from the suburbs, he put up with a friend of his instead of with me, so I decided to look him up at his friend's house in the morning. But I was not destined to carry out that plan. Early the next morning I received a telegram that my brother was dead. The telegram had been sent at 1.20 a.m. He must have died an hour before. Well, there it is. I had seen him, and so had the policeman. The servant had seen him, too. There could be no mistake about that. I took an early train and reached my suburban home at 10 a.m. I was informed that my brother had died at midnight. But I had seen him at about half-past one, and the servant had seen him at about 
I did not tell anybody anything at that time. But I did so afterwards. I was not dreaming, because the conversation we had was a pretty long one. The servant and the police constable could have not been mistaken either. But the mystery remains. This was the exact story of the professor. Here is something else to the point. Suicidal Telepathy a remarkable case of what may be called suicidal telepathy has occurred near Geneva. Madame Simon, a Swiss widow aged fifty, had been greatly distressed on account of the removal of her sister, who was five years younger, to a hospital. On Monday afternoon a number of persons who had ascended the Salive, 4,299 feet high, by the funicular railway, were horrified to see a woman walk out to a ledge overlooking a sheer precipice of three hundred feet, and after carefully wrapping a shawl round her head and face, jump into space. The woman was Madame Simon, says the Times of India, and she was found on the cliffs below in a mangled condition. At the same time, Madame Simon's sister, who had not seen or communicated with the former for a week, became hysterical saying her sister was dead and that she did not want to survive her during the temporary absence of the nurse the woman got out of bed opened the window and jumped into the road from the first floor she is seriously injured and her recovery is doubtful the news of the death of madame simon was only known at the hospital nine hours later alabad twelfth february nineteen thirteen much more wonderful than all is this story of the astral lady which appeared in one of the english magazines a few months ago in that case an english medical gentleman saw the astral lady in a first-class railway compartment in england only accidentally he discovered the body of a lady nearly murdered and concealed under one of the seats his medical help and artificial respiration and stimulants brought her round and then the doctor saw the original of the astral lady in the recovered girl. Well, well, wonderful things do happen sometimes. The phenomenon mentioned in this chapter as the professor's experience is not new. Mr. Justice Norman of the Calcutta High Court saw his mother while sitting in court one day, and others saw her too. A few hours later his lordship received a telegram informing him of her death at the moment when he had seen her in the court. This was in broad daylight. Unlike the professor, the judge did not even know that his mother was ill. The fact that immediately after death the dead person appears to someone near and dear to him has been vouched for by others whose veracity and intelligence cannot be questioned. The appearance of Miss Orme after her death at Missouri to Miss Mount Stevens in Lucknow was related in the Alabad High Court during the trial of the latter lady for the murder of the former. This is on the record of the case. This case created a good deal of interest at the time. Similar to what has been described above is the experience of Lord Brougham. An extract from his memoirs is as follows. A most remarkable thing happened to me, so remarkable that I must tell the story from the beginning. After I left the high school, i.e. Edinburgh, I went with G., my most intimate friend, to attend classes of the university. 
there was no divinity class but we frequently in our walks discussed many grave subjects among others the immortality of the soul and a future state this question and the possibility of the dead appearing to the living were subjects of much speculation and we actually committed the folly of drawing up an agreement written with our blood to the effect that whichever of us died first should appear to the other and thus solve the doubts we had entertained of the life after death after we had finished our classes at the college g went to india having got an appointment in the civil service there he seldom wrote to me and after the lapse of a few years i had nearly forgotten his existence one day i had taken a warm bath and while lying in it enjoying the heat i turned my head round looking toward the chair on which i had deposited my clothes as i was about to get out of the bath on the chair sat g looking calmly at me how i got out of the bath i know not but on recovering my senses i found myself sprawling on the floor the apparition or whatever it was that had taken the likeness of g had disappeared the vision had produced such a shock that i had no inclination to talk about it or to speak about it even to stuart but the impression it made upon me was too vivid to be forgotten easily and so strongly was i affected by it that i have here written down the whole story with the date nineteenth december and all the participants as they are fresh before me now no doubt i had fallen asleep and that the appearance presented so distinctly before my eyes was a dream i cannot doubt yet for years i had no communication with g nor had there been anything to recall him to my recollection nothing had taken place concerning our swedish travel connected with g or with india or with anything relating to him or to any member of his family i recollected quickly enough our old discussion and the bargain we had made i could not discharge from my mind the impression that g must have died and his appearance to me was to be received by me as proof of a future state this was on nineteenth december seventeen ninety nine in october eighteen sixty two lord braham added a postscript i have just been copying out from my journal the account of this strange dream certissimi mortis imago and now to finish the story begun about sixty years ago soon after my return to edinburgh there arrived a letter from india announcing g s death and that he died on nineteenth december seventeen ninety nine the pall mall magazine nineteen fourteen pages one eighty three one eighty four another fine story and one to the point comes from hyderabad as a certain mr j who was an englishman after reading the memoirs of lord braham was so affected that he related the whole story to his confidential indian servant we need not mention here what mr j's profession was all we need to say is that he was not very rich and in his profession there was no chance of his getting up one morning to find himself a millionaire the master and servant executed a bond written with their blood that he who first died would see the other a rich man as it happened the native servant died first and on his death mr j who was then a young man retired altogether from his business which business was not in a very flourishing condition within a couple of years he went to england a millionaire 
How he came by his money remains a secret. People in England were told that he had earned it in India. He must have done so, but the process of his earning he has kept strictly to himself. Mr. J. is still alive and quite hale. A different event in which another friend of mine was concerned was thus described the other day. He had received a telegram to the effect that a very near relation of his was dying in Calcutta, and that this dying person was desirous to see him. He started for Calcutta in all haste by the mail. The mail used to leave his station at about 3 p.m. in the afternoon, and reach Calcutta early the next morning. It was hot weather, and in his first-class compartment there was no other passenger. He lay down on one of the sleeping berths, and the other one was empty. All the lamps, including the night light, had been switched off, and the compartment was in total darkness, but for the moonlight. The moonbeams did not come into the compartment itself, as the moon was nearly overhead. He had fallen into a disturbed sleep when on waking up he found there was another occupant of the compartment. As thefts had been a common incident on the line, especially in first-class compartments, my friend switched on the electric light, the button of which was within his reach. This could be done without getting up. In the glare of the electric light he saw distinctly his dying relation. He thought he was dreaming. He rubbed his eyes and then looked again. The apparition had vanished. He got up and looked out of the window. The train was passing through a station without stopping. He could read the name of the station clearly. He opened his timetable to see he was still 148 miles from Calcutta. Then he went to sleep again. In the morning he thought he had been dreaming. But he observed that the railway timetable was still open at the place where he must have looked to ascertain the distance. On reaching Calcutta he was told that his relation had died a few hours ago. My friend never related this to anybody till he knew that I was writing on the subject. This story, however, after what the professor saw, loses its interest, and some suggested that it had better not be written at all. I only write this because this friend of mine, who is also a relation of mine, is a big government servant and would not have told this story unless it was true. To the point is the following story, which was in the papers about March 1914. In 1821, the Argyle rooms were patronized by the best people, the establishment being then noted for high-class musical entertainments. One evening in March 1821, a young Miss M., with a party of friends, was at a concert in the Argyle rooms. Suddenly she uttered a cry and hid her face in her hands. She appeared to be suffering so acutely that her friends at once left the building with her and took her home. It was at first difficult to get the young lady to explain the cause of her sudden attack, but at last she confessed that she had been terrified by a horrible sight. While the concert was in progress she had happened to look down at the floor, and there, lying at her feet, she saw the corpse of a man. The body was covered with a cloth mantle, but the face was exposed, and she distinctly recognized the features of a friend, Sir J.T. 
on the following morning the family of the young lady received a message informing them that sir j t had been drowned the previous day in southampton water through the capsizing of a boat and that when his body was recovered it was entangled in a boat cloak the story of the argyle room's apparition is told by mr thomas rikes in his well-known diary and he personally vouches for the truth of it in this connection the following cutting from an english paper of march nineteen fourteen will be found very interesting and instructive talks with mr stead sir a turner's psychic experiences general sir alfred turner's psychic experiences which he related to the london spiritualists alliance on may seven in the salon of the royal society of british artists cover a very wide field and they date from his early boyhood the most interesting and suggestive relate to the reappearance of mr stead says the daily chronicle on the sunday following the sinking of the titanic sir alfred was visiting a medium when she told him that on the glass of the picture behind his back the head of a man and afterwards its whole form appeared she described him minutely and said he was holding a child by the hand he had no doubt that it was mr stead and he wrote immediately to mrs harper mr stead's private secretary she replied saying that on the same day she had seen a similar apparition in which mr stead was holding a child by the hand a few days afterwards continued sir alfred at a private seance the voice of stead came almost immediately and spoke at length he told them what had happened in the last minutes of the wreck all those who were on board when the vessel sank soon passed over but they had not the slightest notion that they were dead stead knew however and he set to work to try to tell these poor people that they had passed over and that there was at any rate no more physical suffering for them shortly afterwards he was joined by other spirits who took part in the missionary work mr stead was asked to show himself to the circle he said not now but at cambridge house at the meeting which took place there not everybody was sympathetic and the results were poor except that mr stead came to them in short sharp flashes dressed exactly as he was when on earth since then said sir alfred he had seen and conversed with mr stead many times when he had shown himself he had said very little when he did not appear he said a great deal on the occasion of his last appearance he said i cannot speak to you but pursue the truth it is all truth i am confident sir alfred declared that mr stead will be of the greatest help to those of us who on earth work with him and to others who believe End of story twenty seven